Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 52. It is Tuesday, November 5th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we will fire up the hot stove. It is our breakdown of the free agent landscape with a few predictions of where some of the top players will go. We'll also discuss the early stages of a mock draft that Eno and I are a part of, along with our friends over at the pitcher list. We are very inconveniently sitting next to each other in the middle of the draft order, so that will... That will be frustrating, I think, over the course of the next few days while that plays out. And of well, course, I'd rather have your team. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the early returns are that I'm I'm beating Eno in his mock. Apparently, uh, we'll also have our prospect of the week and beer of the week selections as well. So, uh, why do you hate your team so much, Eno? <laughs> well, I got, I just felt like I got cornered into taking Chris Sale, and I have no idea how to feel about it because I took Chris Sale in the second half of the sort of midway through the second round and he was the last pitcher in my projection set that was projected to be more than fifty dollars uh this is a shallow uh draft so uh there's not uh there's a, there are fifty dollar pitchers and then there are thirty dollar pitchers after that so it went from sale at fifty dollars to bieber and i believe maybe snell at thirty dollars after that and so I thought that $20 difference, even though Sale never got the velocity always all the way back uh, and now has had troubles pitching past August in two straight years, uh, I went for it. If you're new to this podcast, the good news is Eno didn't have to eat a hat as a result of uh, Chris Sale's velocity fluctuations. He was close, though. And the bad news, other than for people who wanted me to eat a hat, is that he's still at, at 93.7 lost nearly two ticks. I mean, it was like a tick and a half and not not in a, not in a great way either. Although, uh, nearly 240 strikeouts in an abbreviated season. So, I don't think that it's very easy to figure out what Chris Hale would do next year. But I kind of leaned in the way of saying, hey, Clayton Kershaw showed some of these same problems, some of these same signs, and Clayton Kershaw was fine so maybe we should just trust the track record a little bit more than worrying too much about one tick when it comes to a guy who still throws 94 from the left side you know yeah i think sale i mean where you got him is probably close to his higher end healthy february price i don't know if he's going to go a whole lot higher than that like if he comes out and he's throwing 93 this spring and everything looks good i think 15 to 20 overall is kind of where he can settle in. And I think you got him at 21, if I'm counting correctly. 12-team drafts, a little different. I'm not used to counting in 12s when I look at grids. I'm used to counting in 15s. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you got him at a, a reasonable spot. I think it sounds like if you were going to do it again, having Trey Turner in the first round, you would have just gone hitter-hitter and taken your chances and waited a little bit to get that first pitcher. I guess the problem was that I had that $50 price tag when it came to, to Chris Sale at $50 value, and then I didn't really have that sort of number for anybody else and uh, on the hitting side. So every, all the hitters were $30, all the pitchers were $30, and there was Chris Sale at 50 So it was I kind of got backed in the corner there, as, as I put it, because I also didn't want Freddie Freeman or Jose Altuve, the highest hit, hitters that were on the list, um, and in my projection set, Rendon did not make the top. And I was looking at a trio of outfielders as my second bat. It would have been Bryce Harper, Aaron Judge, or George Springer. And Aaron Judge uh, did not make it back to me. I ended up getting Bryce Harper with the third pick. And George Springer didn't go to the last pick of the third round. Um, so that shows you that I didn't really miss much. You know, I mean, I could have taken Harper and Springer, but I got Harper anyway, and Springer didn't go to the end of the third round. So there wasn't a team, there wasn't a player there uh, hitting wise where I was like, I need that guy. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, because the first few rounds are high quality right now, you can take that leap with your pitching and go early on sale and still end up with the hitting that you would have considered in that spot anyway. So. I don't know. It doesn't doesn't seem as as bad as you're you're making it out. I went Lindor, Bueller, 
Alvarez. So the Lindor pick came after you took Trey Turner. Bueller was before you took Chris Sale. And then Jordan Alvarez after you took Bryce Harper. I was hoping Harper would fall to me at that spot. And I was hoping Bueller would fall to me. So, um, yeah, and, and I, I, I was looking at Turner versus Lindor there at the sixth pick. That's after the first five, which is kind of a consensus. Uh, Acuna, Trout, yeah, like Betts, Bellinger is kind of, you know, that's the order it went in. But I think that's that's I think they're going to be top five for everybody this year, uh, except for some leagues where, you know, DeGrom or Cole go uh, really early. But Turner versus Lindor, I, my projection said Lindor by a couple bucks. There, I actually went against my projections because it was only a couple bucks and because I don't want to draft a Malik Smith. Yeah, so, I'm with you. So I got the bigger steals thing and Harper versus Springer. Uh, later on was also more steals. So right now, I think I have about 60 steals banked. And hopefully, I don't have to draft another person with steals in mind. Because if I can draft some five, six, sevens going forward, uh, I can probably make it. So maybe one guy who's going to steal 20, uh, and, and I'm good. Yeah, that would probably line you up for a top three finish if this were a rotisserie sort of uh, build. So... We'll have updates on Twitter at Enoceris, at Derek Van Riper as those picks unfold. We're only in the early part of round four at this point. Uh, let's talk about the free agent hot stove season. You know, let's just break this thing down. I mean, qualifying offers had a deadline for Monday. Uh, a bunch of guys who were going to leave their team received one. Some guys who could accept that qualifying offer uh, you know, are, are going to be kind of interesting to watch as well. And there are a few notable players who did not get a qualifying offer, which sort of bolsters their market since the team that signs them in free agency doesn't have to give up a compensatory draft pick. But we'll start with the the big names. Garrett Cole, of course, got a qualifying offer. He's obviously not going to accept it. The same holds true for Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasburg. Uh, Josh Donaldson, Marcelo Zuna, Zach Wheeler, Madison Bumgarner also getting qualifying offers. And then the guys that I labeled as could accept Will Smith, Jake Odorizzi, and Jose Abreu we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, Garrett Cole, we talked about him a little bit last week in our, our series review pod. Had the Boris Corp hat on <laughs> as the <laughs> as the evening was uh, coming to a close. And everything I read on Twitter and everything I read story-wise on The Athletic and elsewhere points Garrett Cole pretty much to the Angels. That just seems like the place he's going to go. But there are plenty of other teams that that could throw big money at him this winter. Where do you think he really ends up when it's all said and done? Yeah, I've been saying the Angels and the Yankees, but the Yankees have sort of set that cap number as a hard cap number, and I don't think I don't think they're that particularly close to being able to afford Cole unless they basically just renounce everybody else. You know? And the team is good enough where maybe they don't need to re-sign Brett Gardner. Maybe Brett Gardner comes back for four or five million instead of, you know, MLB trade rumors hasn't projected at 10. That seems a little bit high for me. But maybe if they just sign a couple one, two, three, four million dollar deals here and there and add Garrett Cole to it, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll crown themselves uh, early favorites. So that's why I put the Yankees in there is because that's how they used to act. That's how they could act. Any given moment, they could just do it and they could just go blast by the 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 top of the luxury tax and the and and you know i think garrett cole would love to pitch there but uh otherwise you know then you start talking about the second layer and there's the cubs are not going to go into that uh into that well i don't think and uh the padres maybe but uh you know it seems like a lot to ask in terms of adding another really long contract next to manny and hosmer um, I, you know, sometimes people talk about the Strasburg to the Padres and I could see that just because it'd be shorter and be a little bit less than Garrett Cole. So who's out there that really needs pitching that has a team that's competitive that might forego the draft pick and might just jump in there with two feet. And I think that's the angels. As you think about big ticket free agency, is there a team that you could say is maybe a mystery team of sorts another team on the rise that's not getting quite as much attention i mean for me it's the white Sox. like they they don't have a lot they, of current obligations they have a young core that they believe in and you know maybe they go out there and throw money at, at rendon or, or cole and do it in kind of a way where people just don't see it coming yeah i mean they, they were they were second 
or third for Manny Machado. And what they're in is the situation the Padres in with Eric Hosmer is they need to get that first person to take their money. And nobody's doing it yet because nobody nobody looks at the White Sox right now and says, oh, that's a place I want to be. So what they're going to have to do is come in and overpay for somebody. I think that's just, I think that's the reality of the situation. And I'm not sure that like giving Marcelo Zuna five years and $75 million is a good idea business-wise. And I'm not sure that it's necessarily going to be good enough to turn, you know, the the turn people towards the White Sox in the future, but it might be, and it won't cost as much as Hosmer. <laughs> and there might've been some impact uh, on Ma- on Manny Machado and taking the Padres deal, uh, just knowing that other people had taken their money before and they were, they seemed to be on the rise and they, they'll spend money and they'll spend money again, right? They, they spent money on Hosmer. They'll spend what they're going to spend money on me. Like then they'll, they'll go and get somebody next year. Right. Whereas with the White Sox, you look at them and you say, who, who are you spending money on? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I I think they're one of the teams that has a guy that might accept the qualifying offer with Jose Abreu. He doesn't really seem to yeah. want to go anywhere else, and and they love him, and he's been he's been a good mentor, and and he's at a position that does not uh, command a lot of money around the league. Yeah, the, if you look at the list of available players at first base, third base, and in the corner outfield spots, and you look at the teams that have needs there. It's easy to sort of see when you write it out that way, like, oh, this is part of the reason why this position's getting depressed so much. Like, there's a bunch of teams on that list that need corner help that aren't contending. So they have no reason to pay or overpay to get it. It's not like they're one piece away. So they're just yeah, going to The Marlins are not going to sign Jose Bray. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I made a list of Even teams. Even Garrett Cooper is no good. The teams that could upgrade at first base, the Jays, the Brewers, the Mariners, the Marlins, the Nats, the Rangers, the Royals, the Tigers, the White Sox. There's like three good teams out of nine on that list. So there's just not going to be that much of a bidding war for those guys. Of those three teams, what is it? At least two normally just find a first baseman. Yeah, they've they've just they believe they can just find a scrap heap guy that gives them a win and a half or two yeah. wins. Like it's it's the I'm kind of counting the Nationals. I mean, they've been paying Ryan Zimmerman forever, so it's kind of hard to to figure that one out. But you know, Zimmerman is kind of an icon, and a, and that deal was signed when he was a third baseman, and. You know, that's a different situation. Otherwise, they've just signed Matt Adams like two out of the last three years. <laughs> you know? So um, I maybe they're into spending some money on a first baseman. But really, the Nationals, it's very obvious that the Nationals have are going to I think it's very obvious they're going to keep one of the two of Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasburg. And my guess actually is that it's Rendon. It probably makes more sense. They've got big commitments already to Scherzer and Corbin, and they could mm-hmm. probably go fishing in the cheaper end of the pitching pool. I mean, they, they kind of did that with Anibal Sanchez, and that worked out okay. Yeah. You know, once you shorten yeah. up that rotation in the postseason, I think you'd need two. You need two guys that you really, really trust. Yeah, you'd love to have three or four, but I think two is where the line is going to be. The teams that only have one pitcher that goes six-plus effectively – those teams are really going to need a huge super bullpen to actually make it through the postseason. I think the Nats can tweak and make this work. Yeah. I mean, what you could do is sign Rendon, don't sign Strasburg, and with your extra ten to twenty million, buy a couple relievers, which they haven't ever they haven't really done. You know, so take a kind of a slightly different tack there. Uh, but I doubt that both Rendon and Strasburg are coming back to to Washington. Uh, but I do think that the, what's interesting about this list of qualifying offers is that the, the the qualifying just putting the qualifying offer on there is going to suppress the or is going to increase the likelihood that these players end up on the teams that they were on before, and I that becomes less more true as you go down a list. So for Cole and Rendon, a team is obviously going to factor in the fact that they were going to lose a draft pick, but they're not going to stop. You know, they're not going to not gonna say, oh, I don't want Rendon. It's going to cost me a draft pick. What? You know? no, you, so, yeah, you got a $200 million plus outlay on the player, a draft pick. <laughs> less of a concern not, than when you're talking about like a $50 million guy. Yes. And that's why I think uh, it's going to be really interesting for Donaldson, Ozuna, maybe even Wheeler and Bumgarner. I mean, I think there could be a certain amount of 
um, energy between Bumgarner and the Giants and put into an extension. Especially if he goes out there and realizes the qualifying offer is an anchor on him. And, you know, some of the projections for him are like four and 60. Well, if they're four and 60, dude, just either accept the qualifying offer and pitch for another year in San Francisco at 19 million, you know, or 18 million, whatever it is, and then go out in the market and get more next year. Um, or factor that in and say, hey, come on, San Francisco, I'm worth more than $60 million to you. So uh, that's why I think, uh, you know, Bumgarner, Ozuna, and Donaldson, I think Donaldson is going to stay in Atlanta. I've seen somebody connecting him to the Rangers, and the Rangers may look like they're ready to spend. They're going to go into a new ballpark. They've had, you know, they had some juice behind them last year in terms of, you know, being in it in the wildcard race late in the season. Uh, but Donaldson is like 33 or something. And, uh, you know, giving him three years and $75 million and a draft pick, mm, you know, I, I could see him staying in Atlanta. Yeah, that's kind of where my initial read was, too, was Donaldson stays with the Braves. It buys them a little extra time on Austin Riley. They play Riley in the outfield some anyway. They can do the Marcakis Riley thing if they want to. You know, they've got they kind of got it figured out in the short term. And, and Donaldson, you know, he bounced back in a big way. The fact that he was able to stay healthy last season, uh, that was really encouraging. I mean, I, I didn't know if he could make it through a full season without having calf problems, but it seems like a, at least a two-year, like $40 million deal is something he could actually get now. Yeah, and uh, I just realized, though, in the middle of you talking, that I didn't answer your other question. The mystery you team? didn't. Yes, a mystery team. You know who my mystery team is? And it's it's very specific. It's to it's for pitching. It's the Twins. Mm. They got they got under a number they wanted to get under and they had a lot of success and they I think they it had to be patently obvious in the in the postseason that they were they were a little bit short on the pitching side. I mean, I think they are cut from a similar cloth to a Midwest team just southeast of them. I think the <laughs> Brewers and Twins have similar qualities in their roster construction. And I think they're looking for similar things. I think they realize that, you know, uh, a rotation full of Oda Rizzi's and Kyle Gibson's, or in the case of the Brewers, Chase Anderson's and Zach Davies, that's fine for getting you above 500 it doesn't quite work in the postseason. It kind of ties into what I was saying before, where it's like, those guys are great as fours and fives. And when you can turn a $4 million free agent into one of those guys, you've done yeah. well. When yeah. you pay 8 or $10 million for those guys, you're making a mistake. I think they're going to be among the many teams interested in Zach Wheeler. Because if you can't, as a team, use your resources to go get Garrett Cole, or if you're just not a team he'd be interested in playing for. I don't know if the Twins or Brewers fit that. That, at the very top end, that is a real thing. I mean, they they get to choose, basically, where they get to go. You know, it's not only who's going to give them the most money. Right. I think think the where the guy's from analysis that we see actually does matter at the very top end of the pool. Yeah, because they basically have three. Like, Manny Machado had three $300 million offers on the table. Right. Well, where do you want to be? You know, San Diego, yeah. Chicago. You know. Yeah. And Bryce Harper is like, I don't really want to play in San Francisco. <laughs> that's not a good place to choose to go if you're a left-handed power hitter. You're no. kind of yeah. you're setting yourself up to disappoint everybody. That's why the that's why the fences are coming in. Which people, fantasy owners, uh, think about this. It's happening. I'm excited for that. But as I look at the Twins, I think, okay, you're on the list of teams that will be going after Zach Wheeler. We talked about the Astros back at the trade deadline as a team that would make sense. If Houston lets Garrett Cole walk, they may want to try and replace him with a guy for the next three to four years at a much smaller outlay who could actually come close production-wise. I'm not saying Wheeler and Garrett Cole are equal. I'm saying if there's a second-tier pitcher who has a chance to pitch like an ace, Zach Wheeler is the guy that I think has the characteristics you're looking for. Yeah, and I think there's a similar situation with Cole where people think there's a tweak they can make. And I hope so. I think so. I'm a little bit nervous about this, though, because I've seen projections now for Wheeler at, at five five years and $100 million. Mm. And that's not quite the same as signing Huli Chassin and thinking you can tell him to throw a slider more. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? No, that is, that is not the same thing. That, that, the chassis uh, <laughs> thing, that's, that's fishing in the bottom of the pool. It's finding a number three starter in results for the price of a five or less. Like, that's yeah. what that is. That's a win. But Wheeler, I was looking at the, the Kylie McDaniel, like the Fangraphs uh, projections. Kylie had him at four for 68. The median was four for 72. And I think the average was like a little over four, around 77. Like, that kind of feels about right and mlb trade rumors is 100 but either either way that's not bargain binning so i think if you pay that price for zach wheeler and get what he's done in the past four or five years in terms of ups and downs and not quite breaking through to what you think is his upside except for maybe one season i think you might be a little disappointed in that deal so i'd have to i'd have to have a rock solid belief in my pitching program which is why i do actually agree with you i think the brewers if i could bet right now that one of the brewers twins or astros would sign zach wheeler uh, i might actually put money down on that the dodgers could also end up being a similar situation i mean those are those are the those those are the pitching capitals of the world yeah they just they think similarly at least on the outside it looks like they are, are seeking the exact same things in in their pitching right now so yeah that's what kind of puts them in the same bucket but i I think he comes in closer to like four for 80 you know not as high as the mlb trade rumors a little higher than what we saw in the uh, the fan graphs free agent write-up which is one of my favorite pieces to read every year there's so much work that goes into something like that Um, so great job by by kylie and that crew to to crank that thing out i think the guys that get squeezed in this market are those corner guys though like marcelo zuna like the more i think about teams that need corner outfielders i can't place him like, where do you think Barcelo Zuna goes? Yeah, St. Louis. I, I, <laughs> they don't need another because, outfielder, though. They should. They should let him go. I don't know. He was. He was pretty good there, and it's a hard park to hit in. And yes, they have outfielders, but do they have outfielders? You know what I mean? Like, do you know? Do you are you gonna like just really be like, okay, Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader each get an outfield spot? I think Bader's a good enough defender where you can justify hitting him in the bottom third of the order, taking a below average bat if that's what he is, and, and accepting hoping, the plus defense. And you, you and get the possibility more of more. Bat. Yeah, you could get the yeah. development. And if you're not happy with it, we know outfielders are generally pretty easy to acquire at the trade deadline. You can address that later, and it's not going to burn you in the first four months. This isn't quite a Cleveland situation where they're going so, from Michael Brantley to you know Cargo. Who are your other outfielders in? I mean, I see, I see Jose Martinez back. Jose Martinez probably doesn't play much out there. Fowler was better than people realized. Tommy Edmond just plays a lot too. I, I think. Oh, Edmond. And they could go cheap. They could throw instead of going multi years on Marcelo Zuna. Couldn't they get Cole Calhoun for a fraction mm-hmm. of the price? And then put some resources on pitching. Yeah, yeah. If you get Cole Calhoun on a shorter deal or a lower price deal than Ozuna, you got a lefty that pairs nicely you know, with a guy like Tyler O'Neill. And that gives you that extra surplus of playing time you might want because a guy like Edmund, of course, plays other positions around the infield. You know, Fowler had some major injury trouble and performance issues, of course, in 2018. Um, so you get a little insurance that way, adding a much less expensive because they're they're out there. They're saying they're up against their cap already too. I was reading the Mark Saxon breakdown of their offseason. I mean, they extended Goldschmidt. They're still paying a lot of money for Matt Carpenter. It, it's these budgets, and we've said this before. These are. These are budgets created by the team. They're not actual financial constraints that they can't spend more money. It's that they choose right, right. not to spend yeah. more money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a whole minefield. But you know, given given what they've got, maybe they don't have the money. I could see that. Uh, but you know, that's gonna. But then everybody else is gonna look at. Hey, Ozuna's like really. He's not like a star. He's more like a three win guy. And if he's a three win guy, and I have to give up a a, a draft pick for him, and he's a three win corner outfielder where some of those wins are tied up in arm and not necessarily, uh, you know, and he's like not necessarily like 20% better than the league with a bat. He's more like 10% better than the league with a bat, which, uh, you know, maybe, you know, you what you're hoping is that some team has internally looked at his exit velocity, looked at his, you know, hitting component stats and decided that, you know, whatever metric we use to park adjust is not capturing his, uh, how good he is because he's now pitched, he's now hit in like two of the four worst, uh, ballparks in baseball. 
Yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, he's had to deal with that. Nick Castellanos has had to deal with, I think, pitcher-friendly environments as well in uh, Detroit and on the north side of Chicago for a partial season. I know he had a great partial season with the Cubs, but uh, he's even more of a, a defensive liability. At least when you look at Ozuna, you can see a more reasonable path for him to stay in the outfield for the life of a mm-hmm. multi-year deal. I saw MLB tra- trade rumors put Ozuna in, in San Francisco, and that that is pretty interesting, actually, because... You know, they, they, they do other, and this might be past regimes, but they have traded for players that have hit in hard environments. So they went and got Evan Longoria because they were like, you know, Tampa's not a great place to hit. He can probably hit here. They went and got uh, Andrew McCutcheon because they were like, you know, Pittsburgh is not a great place to hit. He can probably hit here. So uh, maybe, maybe Azuna will be, will be interesting for them. Castellanos is really weird for me. I wanted to kind of put him, I'm, I'm putting together like a, a favorite sort of balling on a budget uh, group of players. And Castellanos is, you know, kind of got my eye. He doesn't have the qualifying offer. He doesn't have a draft pick compensation. He's the youngest free agent on the market. And he had that great finish. He's probably the best, one of the best bats. I mean, obviously Rendon is the best bat and Donaldson's probably there. But, you know, what third best bat, youngest free agent? He's projected for 1.5 wins next year. Hmm. Wow. That is And that's due, due to the defensive liability that you're talking about, you know? but not even an average player. Like people were talking about him getting a hundred million dollars. Like hopefully he gets like 40. I mean, I think this is uh, an interesting time to try and predict what teams are going to do. Most teams, as we said back, wow. In the spring, I think now, like most teams are, are thinking similarly, like we're, we're getting more and more teams that are, are valuing the same things. Mm-hmm. And corner infielders and corner outfielders are getting squeezed. We saw it with Mike Moustakis the last couple of off seasons. I think we're going to see it with Nick Castellanos for his defensive mm-hmm. concerns. I mean, okay, so if, back to the White Sox, just as the the example here. Instead of going three plus years on Marcelo Zuna, you go one or two on Nick Castellanos. Like you're an AL team, you're getting a guy that you can put in the DH spot. You can throw him in the outfield for a little while if you want to. Like, I think the White Sox should look at what the Twins did. The, the tweaks they made over the course of last offseason, look at that division and say, hey, you know what? We got this core we like. We can kind of shop around in free agency. We can be smart about it, go after the guys that don't have the qualifying offers, keep our draft picks, and see if we can just catch lightning in a bottle and maybe make a run, if not at the division this year, maybe at an AL wildcard spot. Yeah, yeah. And I think they should. I think they should because they they have that problem of maybe not being able to attract the Anthony Rendones of the world. So why not just build as build as build as you can? You know, just keep building and just taking whatever deal you think is is decent and won't hamstring the organization. I mean, you have a shortstop and probably second baseman or third baseman you can you can count on. Uh, looks like you have a pitcher you can count on. It's the beginning of a core. So you just have to build around it and wait for other people to show up. The one reason that I don't have that much faith in the White Sox is because their player development is trash. Mm. Uh, it just, whatever they're doing in the minor leagues is terrible. They're, they're just, they're not focused on tech. They're not focused on data. They've got a bunch of old school coaches in there that are not, not listening. Um, I think that, it goes all the way to the major leagues, to their major league pitching coach. And uh, I think there's some real problems there. I mean, their number one pitching win of the last few years did it all on his own. He had to leave the organization. He had to go back and listen to other people. So here, here's the question I have for you is when you hit on a guy like Giolito as an organization and he does it himself, but you think internally that your coaches may have done it, or could you let me rephrase that? Could you make the mistake of thinking that you and your staff developed him when you didn't? Like, are they in the front office smart enough to see that that was not their coaching staff? I think so. I mean, there there's a well reported, you know, it's a well reported phenomenon of what Giolito did and how he did it. And James Fegan wrote really well about it. And I'm sure they have to read the Athletic. And sort of someone in there is reading the Athletic. So. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know what it is. It has to be system systemic somewhere. There has to be someone who, um, uh, feels they're doing things the right way and, um, has shut his, shut his ears to 
you know, the rest. So I don't know. I, I used to think that Rick Hahn was, you know, one of the smartest GMs and maybe I was wrong or maybe I was right. And no one's listening to him. It, that's the hardest thing to know is the role of the owner, the role of the other, you know, front office execs, who's being listened to. You can't just hire someone. You know, they hired Matt Lyle, who's a, a coach I respect, you know, a, a very good sort of internet based or, or, or independent based hitting coach. And they gave him the title director of hitting analytics or not even director. They gave him hitting analytics coach. Do you think anyone's going to listen to that guy? You just chopped him off at the knees. Why even hire that guy? You could have called him eyewash coach. <laughs> Fair. So. I mean, it, it's it's definitely fair at this point. But uh, I think the White Sox do have one of those guys who could accept the qualifying offer in Jose Abreu. The two, Will Smith and Jake Odorizzi. If you're advising those guys, I mean, Smith, I think, can get a multi-year deal worth probably 12 plus million a year. I don't know. Well, if I mean, that's years. where I was thinking. So, you know, uh, Adam Ottavino just got basically three for 30. Let's call it that. And Will Smith is a closer, but he's not you know, a role as Chapman level. Uh, so I've seen the projections have ranged from sort of 45 million for Will Smith uh, to, to 30, 30, 35 million. If it's on the lower end, he should take the qualifying offer. Yeah. No matter, no matter what he wants to think about in terms of winning a world series or where he wants to go, that's going to be 18 millions in 18 millions <laughs> in your pocket. Uh, and then you just have to get 12 million for two years next to, to, to stay, stay even. You know, and you won't have the qualifying offer. So I think uh, he and Obreu are the most likely to take it. Odorizzi, you see him as a, enough of a, a sure thing to get a multi-year deal where he can he can decline it? Yeah, I mean, as soon as you can get, you know, three for 40, three for 45, you know, it's a lot of years of, it's a lot more years and it is a lot more money than just the 18. If you just take the 18 and the arm goes kaput, yeah, that's a lot of missed opportunity. I mean, you could try to get some insurance and set it up that way, but it's still it's not going to be the same as, as getting that 45 uh, guaranteed with a three-year deal. A couple guys that didn't get qualifying offers that were a little bit surprising, Didi Gregorius. And the Yankees have that that luxury tax threshold, that that cap that they're kind of putting on themselves. And, you know, they have DJ LeMayhew on the multi-year deal. They have Glaber Torres who can play shortstop. Miguel Andujar comes back from... A season lost to injury. Luke Voigt's going to play first base, so they're they're kind of set on the infield. So I think that's part of what drove them to not make that offer to Didi. And there's only a handful of teams that really need a shortstop because this is a position that's well accounted for in most organizations at the big league level right now. If you said who could be this year's Yasmani Grandal, who doesn't get the big free agent payday that we thought he was going to get. Didi Gregorius might be that guy just looking around the league at who actually needs a shortstop right now. I I like him. He's on my list. He's on my list of ball, my balling on a budget list. I think he's a decent uh, uh, player. He's actually uh, projected for the second or third most war uh, on my list. Uh, he's a definitively above average shortstop for me and there are a couple teams that want to be competitive that need that and i would say the brewers are one of them and the reds are another that was my whole list other than going back to the yankees <laughs> and the yankees staying like kind of crowded those two teams the brewers and reds have a lot of the same needs right now too i mentioned the twins before but i mean yasmani grandal has been linked to the reds among Both other teams. teams yeah it's like I think if you miss out on one, you get the other. They do very different things, but Didi can be a four or five win player. And those are two parks where his pull happy tendencies aren't going to get punished the same way. Like if he leaves Yankee Stadium and goes to a more neutral environment, he's a very different player. But I think he is a good enough defender. You can give him a multiple year deal. And I think in those hitter friendly, at least homer friendly parks, you're going to get a pretty good chunk of the offense that we're used to getting from Didi prior to the Tommy John surgery. I think his first year off surgery especially, I'm not that surprised to see him have that that step back this year. I don't think that's skills erosion. I think that's rust from the injury. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has to be factored in. 
And, uh, you know, projections are actually not that great at factoring in playing through injury. And so that 2.5 win projection might actually be low because, you know, it just looks like poor performance, whereas it might have been playing through injury. Speaking of playing through injury, we know Kel Hamels had an oblique injury uh, in 2019. Is he a guy that without a qualifying offer, you think is in a a nice spot to actually get maybe a two-year deal and, and bolster some teams rotation with a lot of quality innings. I did him a favor by not offering that, but I guess he would have been on the short list of people who would actually take it. Probably that, that point of his career with a team that's been good and he's been decent there and it's in the national league, but at 35 years old, it's not going to be more than two years, but it could be some fun sort of two for 20 could be, you know, the Dodgers used to sign people like Cole Hamels all the time. Yeah, they were the. I mean, they were the Rich Hill. Well, the A's got him first, but still, yeah, the Dodgers don't seem to be as afraid of of old pitching, and certainly Houston hasn't been with, with the, what they've done with Verlander. And and really, this is the reason I'm putting Ryu on my list is kind of the Cole Hamels effect, which is that you know for a lot of teams it matters less how many innings you're going to give them, and more are you going to be good when you're in, you know, and. That matters because the DL is unlimited. You know, there's no limit to how many players you can have on the DL. And so if you have any sort of semblance of minor league pitching depth, you can sign someone like Cole Hamels. And when he goes down, Tony Gonsolin comes up and you don't really miss that much of a beat. But uh, you you do capture some of that, you know, uh, high end possibility. With the, with the veteran. Yeah, so I'm thinking about this in, just in terms of, of war. Like, if, if Cole Hamels in... It could be any pitcher, but we'll just keep it with Hamels since that's where the conversation is right now. If a team sees Cole Hamels as like a three-and-a-half or a four-win pitcher in the event that he throws 200 innings, that's different than being the kind of guy that gets to those two wins over 170 or 180 innings. Like, he's going to get probably 2.8, three wins above replacement over 150 innings. Like that, The skills are good enough where you're a difference maker come playoff time. I think that's kind of an interesting little wrinkle that we can lose sight of sometimes. Like, Why did you lose those innings, and, and how good are those innings really? Are they actually a lot better than other players with a similar war who got there because they Julio Turand their way to a lot of innings? Yeah, yeah, compiler versus uh, someone who's excellent in. And Rich Hill has been uh, excellent for the Dodgers, you know, in not in that many innings. I don't think they would complain about about the deals they signed. So, yeah, Cole Hamels to the Dodgers. We just did it. Yeah, that does make a, a great deal of sense. Now, there's a, a ton of possible angles to go with, so we'll try to keep things rolling along here. Yasmani Grandal, what's really different about him now than a year ago? Like I, I keep thinking about this. Like everyone ex- expects him to get this massive payday, and he's a year older. He walked more than ever, but otherwise, he just did the typical Yasmani Grandal thing. Like if he couldn't get more than a three-year offer from the Mets last year, what is so different this time around for him? Well, I mean, maybe maybe it's as simple as a team chose him. You know, there's when the Dodgers had him forever and, and, and the Padres, so the Padres said no thanks and traded him. And then the Dodgers had him and he seemed like a really productive player, but then they showed no interest in re-signing him. Maybe then the sort of whisper campaign, what's wrong with him? What's going on? The pitchers don't like throwing to him. You know, what is it? What is it? You know, uh, maybe that becomes more important. And so then you, the best offer you get is sort of three for 40 or whatever the, the, the Mets were going to give. But when the Brewers choose you and the team does well and, you know, there, there, there aren't as many whispers about him, you know, and, and someone else has, has, cho- has made that leap, then maybe you say it's a little bit easier to, to make that leap yourself as, as a new team. Yeah, I just keep thinking, like, there's no way that the modern front office was totally scared by his 2018 postseason with the pass balls and the, the defensive issues uh, he had in the NLCS. Like, that... That was not a factor, right? Like that could not have mattered to teams in this day and age. No, I mean, yes, he's been bad postseason wise, but 
you know, A, how many catchers uh, are still feeling super sprightly and energetic in the postseason after catching all year? Uh, and B, we're talking about 96 plate appearances split out over five years. It's not it's not meaningful. Yeah. So as as you think about the market for him, does he get three? Does he get 45 or 50? Does he end up beating what he would have got if he had just taken the Mets deal a year ago? I think so. I think so. I think that, uh, yeah, that deals this way. Did he have a, a qualifying offer on him from the Dodgers? He did last year, yep. So, I, you know, there's also more teams that will jump in when there's no draft pick associated with it. It's just it's just the truth. There's going to be more sort of mid-level teams. Honestly, like the Brewers, you would have thought. But the Brewers said, hey, let's go for it. And I think there's also the strategy of if you're going to sign a player who has a qualifying offer on him where you're giving up that draft pick, consider signing more than one if you have the need because the the early nature of the pick you know it's 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 worse to sign one of those players in two consecutive off seasons because you're giving up an earlier pick in each of those years uh-huh. if you stack them yeah. it's a later pick in the year where you sign two and that's what they did with moose right yeah i don't know moose didn't have one though either because they traded for him in 2018 uh, that's right that's right but I, th- I think there are teams that have done that. I, this has got to go, man. This is this has got to go. Yeah, it's stupid. It, 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 <laughs> you you just don't want to limit the number of teams interested in marquee. If you're the players' association, you do not want this. You want this to go away as quickly as possible. No, maybe maybe if a team keeps losing free agents, maybe they can be some sort of a compensatory pick for them, but not do it without the penalty. Yeah, do it without the qualifying offer aspect because that's brutal. Uh, other names, I'll just run through the interesting names. Let me know if any of these guys kind of stand out to you as great signings and if you have a particular favorite where you could see them fitting in. Uh, Hinjin Ryu, we mentioned a little earlier. Dallas Keuchel, Yasiel Puig. Uh, the Yankees had a big option for Edwin Encarnacion. We knew they were going to turn it down, so he became a free agent as well. Uh, and then Drew Pomeranz. Like some pretty interesting names on that list because Pomeranz's success as a reliever, in my mind, makes him kind of like a, a Will Smith without the qualifying offer. I know Smith has a oh, longer yeah. track record of success in the bullpen. We look at the stuff and, and how well it played up for Pomeranz. Like, I, I can I see him. a team going two for 20 on him. I love him. He's on my list. I have him at sort of two for 16, but... You know, uh, Pomeranz is definitely on my list, and he just showed you what he can do with good location strategy on the curveball and a 94-95 monar fastball. It was he struck out more than anybody, save I think Josh Hader. He was second in baseball, 47% strikeout rate in the second half, and that's not like an arbitrary endpoint. That's when he was a reliever. <laughs> right. So uh, I, I'm digging on Pomerantz. I'm digging on Puig a little bit. And the reason I'm digging on Puig is because of Ozuna. I just feel like Puig is a low-cost alternative to Ozuna. And there may not be as large a difference in actual on-field production next year. And the difference in price will be remarkable. You know, first of all, no qualifying offer. Second of all, you know, the projections on price are definitely coming in uh, for Puig at, at about $10 million plus uh, cheaper. And I, I see them as pretty comparable players. So I, I like that. And Edwin, uh, to me, there's one name you got to say when you're considering Edwin Encarnacion, and that name is Nelson Cruz. Yeah, I, I mean, Kylie hit that in the fan graphs. Uh, oh, right up to you. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. It, it's a perfect Shaking comp. my fist at Kylie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it i did i i read his post but not like i, I didn't read every word it's just it's a lot and you know there's a lot to do and i love kylie and so i apologize and throw shade at the same time no yeah um, I, I, I wasn't wasn't trying to infer that you yeah, uh, you pulled that from there or anything like that yeah, but yeah. it's you know older guy that doesn't have oh, a lot of defensive spots to play, but he can hit yeah he can hit yeah. a ton yeah and and we'll take a one-year deal probably so one in ten uh to your tampa bay rays um, for, for Edwin and Canacion, I could totally see that. Although they, they've been sort of collecting these, uh, they've been collecting DH types and first basemen, so they may not want to go for it. But, um, there's got to be another team, you know, like the Indians and put Frown Mill in the outfield or, oh, the A's, although Chris Davis, they pay all that money too. There's got to be someone that, that's going to, to, to up for that sort of a cost. 
Yeah, the ALDH market is kind of brutal again. There's just so many yeah. teams that have a guy already that that fits that description, either because of a long-term contract or just because they've already found their can't like, play anywhere. They've already found their Nelson Cruz, like the Twins. Um, yeah. You know, the the Blue Jays could do it, I guess, but like that's a strange reunion at this point. I guess it'd be cool for anybody that got the Encarnacion jersey for twenty bucks at TJ Maxx, though. White Sox again. Yeah, I mean, I I don't hate it. I it, it's look, the White Sox can copy what the Twins did last off season, and it's not a bad idea. That was a smart off season, and it worked. They got to the playoffs. Like they, I think we we often look at the way a season ends, even in the postseason, and then we rip a team for not doing better. It's like making the playoffs when I know there's some teams that aren't trying, but making the playoffs is still an achievement. It's still good. Like it's still mm-hmm. a, a step in the right direction. Yeah, we get very zero sum in baseball fandom, I think, and it's uh, com- you know, it's it wind all or bust. But that's just really sad for 29 teams every year. So I, I prefer to to think that all the playoff teams did something good. Even a couple of the playoff teams, uh, non-playoff teams, did something good this year. Like the Rangers showed something this year. So yeah, anyway. I I agree. I think they did. Uh, a couple other interesting names now in the the cheap bin. You mentioned Puig. I, I think he does stack up favorably to Marcelo Zuna. There's plenty of places he could go. Um, you get down to the the bargain free agents. Jason Castro to me is like all these teams that might be interested in Grandal should be interested in Castro as the next best option to like fill in that spot. And I like Castro because he's probably going to be a lot cheaper than Grandal. He is still at least a good pitch framer, even if he's not elite. And he was hitting the ball very hard in 2019. Like he showed a little extra pop, has a good eye at the plate, kind of just does the things that you want Grandal to do, albeit with a higher strikeout rate. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting. He's very coachable because he's uh, made huge improvements in his framing and his hitting at different points in his career. Uh, so you know, a guy who's very coachable, who's also going to coach all your pitching staff. I think Jason Castro is great. I would say that. You know, if I was shopping, I would rather shop uh, between Jason Castro and Travis Darno than perhaps spending all the money on Grandal and uh, Rob- uh, Robinson Chirinos, who to me is a bat first uh, catcher. And I think I'd rather spend a little bit less and capture a lot of that uh, less easy to see value, kind of like the Atlanta did with Tyler Flowers and Brian McCann. They had a, a very decent. Uh, catcher tandem for very cheap and I know that a lot of the fans hated it uh, because it didn't look good but uh, it was a, it was a pretty good it was really productive for very cheap and that's that's where I'd go so Travis Darno goes on my list of of cheapos and I wanted to mention something uh, that came out of Kylie's uh, write-up Tsutsugo our main man from last week my my um, my <laughs> second uh, second time repeat uh, prospect of the week uh, apparently, according to sources, was hitting over 92 miles an hour on uh, average in uh, in Japan, which would make him a top 30 hitter by exit velocity if he came over. So, and he's definitely coming over. So, I think Tsutsugo uh, and it would be trade rumors for some reason put in Shogo Akayami and not Yoshitsuma Tsutsugo, and I would have it the other way around. So, um, Tsutsugo goes on my list of bargain FA. I would believe he'll go to somebody like the Brewers. Uh, for the Thames deal or less. Yeah, it's kind of been the focus of my last week or so. I wrote up a piece for The Athletic looking at what the Brewers are going to try and do. And uh, Wilmer Flores could be a part of their plan, maybe as part of a platoon at first base. He can play a little bit elsewhere. Uh, Flores is interesting to me because you know he doesn't strike out that much. And I think when you put a ton of balls in play, you're going to lose average exit velocity. Because if you look at just average exit velo, you look at Flores, you say eighty six point seven, gross. Like I don't, I don't want that guy. That's that's not mm-hmm. that's not good. It's like, well, he only strikes out ten you know, percent of the time, so you're going to get some weak contact sprinkled in there. So I, my question for you is, when you assess a player with core skills like Wilmer Flores, what else are you kind of looking for to paint a clearer picture of what kind of damage he's capable of doing? Uh, you know, we barrels are a little bit more important for for this reason uh, because average exit velocity can can uh, get you in trouble there. 
Um, and uh, the other thing is like, I have a lot of respect for strikeout rate, you know? So, you know, just putting those balls in play is good. His barrel rate at five point one percent is not great. Uh, but, um, you know, he, uh, he puts so many balls in play that I would just think of him as differently as having different assets. You know, I just put him in a different bin and look for different things from him. So basically I would draft him for batting average and not hurting me and a little bit of, uh, positional flexibility. So for a, a team that's acquiring him, I think they wouldn't focus so much on you know how much power can you get out of him can we make him an elite player it would be more like hey can this guy back up first base back up second base and swing with the right hand uh which uh is something he can do so he he becomes like a really decent platoon option bench bat kind of situation right if you were a team that had hernan perez with like a 75 wrc plus as your primary bench guy wilmer flores is a nice upgrade especially if he's a three million dollar guy for one year or something i just i don't think it's going to take much to get him but i think he's a good player i think the market's going to miss on him oh this is interesting he's projected to uh be 11 uh 11 better than league average and uh, wilmer flores is yeah the steamer projections yeah and that would that would beat marcel azuna in three out of the last four seasons it's <laughs> wild isn't it <laughs> Yes, but it's worth pointing out that Ozuna's projected to be uh, 20% better than the average of the bat. So um, why that is, we may have to do a deeper dive to figure out. And I would assume that it has a little bit something to do with both health and park because Ozuna's had some shoulder troubles and has has hit in those parks. But uh, yeah, Flores, I mean, uh, definitely a Howie Kendrick uh, backup plan. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it, too. I think teams interested in, in one will probably be interested in the other. Uh, some pitchers that I'm intrigued by. This one is this one's a little off the grid, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out there anyway. Matt Moore. I'm intrigued by Matt Moore. I think if you are a team, any team that just wants to round out your rotation with a guy that could still have a little bit of upside and has the fallback of maybe being a Pomeranz-type reliever if it doesn't work out in the rotation... Matt Moore could be that guy. He only made a couple of starts with the Tigers last year. They were very good. He didn't allow an earned run. He struck out nine guys in 10 innings, tiny sample size, but the velocity ticked up just a little bit. It almost reminded me of the Charlie Morton Philadelphia year where he got hurt really early and what he was doing in that like four or five starts he's able to make that year was a lot different than what we'd seen in the past. Not quite as extreme and a smaller sample, but enough there where i think if you want to take a a smart flyer matt moore is a smart flyer yeah it's interesting also to see that his cutter was slower than it had ever been uh when he used it he used it more than he ever had uh and it had uh the most drop of his career so you know that's not necessarily what you normally associate with a cutter uh normally want the cutter to kind of be closer to your fastball but maybe he's found a slider. Yeah. Yeah, I would take this, that. It, it looks kind of like a slider. And, uh, you know, these are things that change quickly and you can believe them. So uh, there is there was something different about what Matt, Matt Moore did last year. Different. And he kind of, you know, to be honest, like he kind of did it a little bit towards the end of the, of the year before. Uh, but that just makes it even more believable that there's there's he's changing something about his cutter. He's going to it more, and he was throwing 93. I would definitely sign Matt Moore. Yeah, and last year I think he got $2.5 million from the Tigers with maybe like an extra half million in bonuses or a buyout or something. So he hits the market, and no one's talking about him. Yeah, what like like he's going to go to the Twins because they spent – how much did they spend on Martin Perez last year? Probably about $5 million. Yeah, uh, four. So – they offer they offer more something similar, and they say the same stuff to him as they said to Martin Perez. That would be a spot where I'd have a blind interest from a fantasy standpoint, even before he throws and, a pitch in the uniform. And if you you hated what Martin Perez did last year, and you hated that he was on you know lists as a possible sleeper, I get it. It was a five ERA in the end, uh, but. The, the the twins got value out of Martin Perez. He won games for them. 
you know he won he won 10 games he want to use wins he he had two war like that was a decent uh decent way to spend four million dollars it's it's the reason why a player like chase anderson gets traded or has his option declined when a contending team could say oh i can give him eight and a half million and maybe get two war again there's always a martin perez or a matt moore or someone for four million or less that can also give you that two war that's why players on that part of the curve have their options declined and get non-tendered and end up getting dealt for players you've never heard of so you were all over them not re-upping with eric names but did they? I think they re-upped Chase Anderson. They traded him to the Blue Jays. They they got traded. Him. Yeah, they flipped oh, him. Yesterday. I didn't even see that. What's going on? I follow too many people on Twitter. Also, I'm an old man and I'm losing my faculties, dude. <laughs> I I got locked out. I got I got locked out of my phone because I couldn't remember the friggin' password. <laughs> like the passcode, the four digit passcode that I've used like. A million times, like, listen, in the end, it turned out that I just flipped two numbers and it has something to do with the garage door being very similar. But (laughs) this is concerning. I had to go to the Apple store and, like, reboot the whole thing from scratch. That is the concern. Chase Anderson got traded. Chase Anderson got traded. Did they get anything for him? uh, Chad Spanberger, which is Mm. a funny player because it's almost Corey Spangenberg name-wise. They are totally different players skills-wise. Uh, so okay, so this is why trades like this happen, and it's, Whoa, it's first baseman, first base outfielder, left-handed hitter, better than league average at every stop, and mm. he was a sixth-round pick of the Rockies two years ago. Didn't have a very good year on the surface at Double A. We've said before, Double A didn't have the rabbit ball. He's not a forty-man guy. They don't have to protect him for the Rule Five draft until next year. It's the kind of dart you take when so you just want to free up the money and spend the money on someone save else. Save the money, yeah. They save the money. It was a little bit better than just cutting him, right? And so you, you take that chance. And if, if Spanberger has a, a better year than he had in twenty nineteen, maybe you got a guy you protect for the future that could be a part of a platoon if you go one year on somebody for twenty nineteen or twenty twenty mm-hmm. rather. That's that's how it works like it, it's well you were basically all over both of them then yeah yeah i mean i in in the projection i wrote up a couple of weeks ago i had both of those guys not in the roster construct on you know november 5th whatever whatever you want to put that line i just didn't see those guys coming back it, it's it, the funny yeah. thing was is trade rumors had anderson's arbitration value at like 10 and a half so there was definitely some value out there relative to like what he's been doing and uh, he he's really good at avoiding barrels he gets soft contact that seems to be a repeatable skill due to that double change up he can kind of throw the out change up or or throw the strike change up yeah and he's one of those guys like he's he's a tyler flowers for brewers fans where they are like oh good he's gone i hate him it's like why do you hate him he's actually pretty good for what he's supposed to do he gives up home runs because Every Brewers fan has gone to one Chase Anderson start where he gave up like three homers, and they think he's terrible because of that. But if you look at the overall body of work, he's actually good. Like he's just—he's not good when you have 140 million to spend. You can't spend eight and a half million on him when you're one right. of your skills is finding guys like that for two million dollars or four million dollars. That's true. Hyper efficiency, man. Uh, as far as your your password problem, you got a couple <laughs> options. You could do uh, the facial recognition. You could do thumbprint. Or you could go no, dude, uh, like I memento use the thumbprint. What's the memento technique? Well, you could start like writing things on your arms. <laughs> you could be that guy. I had the, the the whole. I'm so mad. I'm kind of a little mad at my technology because I had the thumbprint. Why didn't the thumbprint work? I don't know. So the thumbprint didn't work, which it doesn't. It doesn't seem to work like one out of every three times. And then I jotted a number in, and it was wrong. And then I was like, wait, then I started questioning myself. Why did I get it wrong? What is my actual number? Do I not know my number? So then I started trying different numbers. It locks. It locks for 15 minutes. It locks for an hour. It locks all night. In the morning, I try one last time and it's locked for good. At least it doesn't self-destruct. Like it'd be really <laughs> bad if like, the 12th time you fail at your password, it just the phone just melts and you're the done. The worst part is it's the same as a, as a pin for one of my bank cards. And so today on the way to the Apple store, I went and took money out and was like, oh, my God, if I'd had one more chance, I would have gotten it right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the friendly tech tip of the week is that I have a case on my phone. I have to wipe 
the the button. It's not even a real button. It's like haptic uh, feedback. That's why the thumb doesn't always work. Yeah, my thumb stops working after a while because the little cover gets this smudged with you know. I don't know, chili and donuts and whatever else I'm eating. <laughs> so eventually it doesn't recognize my thumbprint because there's too much food in there. And if I just wipe out that area, then it's good. I mean, I do wash my hands a lot too, but the, the residue, yeah. That, sure you do. It, it does screw your uh, your You thumbprint. wash your hands with donuts. Yes, that's, that's apparently it's a, it's a ritual <laughs> in my house. That's how, that's how we do it here. I'm not sure how you do it out in California, but that's how we wash our hands in the Midwest. <laughs> I would believe it. Milk and Sorry. donuts. No, I just offended everybody. No, yeah. it's, it's fine. Yes, All right. Okay. Uh, prospect of the week. Well, that kind of was my prospect of the week. I was planning on talking uh, about oh, good. Uh, Spanberg as as he is. Spanberger. I can't, that's that's going to mess with my head for so long. It's, it's kind of great that they're not going to be teammates, at least at this point, uh-huh. because that would wreck me. Yeah. Um, I've got uh, a two pack again. My uh, father in law was listening to some music out the other day, and I said, oh, "You really like this guy?" And he's like, "Yeah, two pack." <laughs> um, so I've got a I've got a two pack, and I and I think they just sort of represent a type of of player. You know, when you're when you're trading, a lot of times everybody wants the 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 stud, the higher name, the the higher draft pick, the this, the that. And a lot of times I find that I can trade those guys for current value uh, and then plug in this type of prospect, which is undervalued. And this type of prospect is the prospect that Fangrass has put like a 40 or a 45 on. They didn't like him at some point or, you know, there's something they didn't like about him. However, the ETA is real nice and short, you know. Uh, And so my two guys are Luin Diaz uh, he's a, a uh, he was traded for Sergio Romo to the Marlins and he's a first baseman lefty 22 years old he just uh, spent his first time in double A uh, and spent about 300 plate appearances in double A had a rebound off of an injured year last year where the power dipped but other than the injury year in 2018 he's kept his ISO basically above 250 in the minor leagues uh, and his strikeout rate uh, for the minor leagues is under 20%. So you've got this combination of power and contact. Uh, the, the walk rate is not great. The fly ball rate gets close to 50%. It gets a little bit hectic there. So the projections aren't for a good batting average or OBP. However, uh, he's already projected for a 171 ISO in the major leagues right now. Uh, and Garrett Cooper is the first baseman there. And I think that there's a little bit of, of pressure on the Marlins to have certain to, to, to kind of come up with some wins. You know what I mean? Like you kind of you kind of have to like have something good happen this year because you're kind of getting into that second, third year of a new regime where people can get fired. Yeah, you know, I think that's true. And so I think, you know, if Luis Diaz has a good start to the year in double A next year, and uh, Garrett Cooper gets injured. Here comes Wally Pip situation. And if if Luis Diaz can come up and strike out 18% of the time and have over 200 ISO, he's a major leaguer, I think. Um, so that's an that's an interesting guy. And then a similar situation is Dalton Jeffries, which he, he's a pitcher in the uh, Oakland A's organization. And he, uh, you know, somebody might look at his and say, oh, he didn't start all his games next year. He must be transitioning to be a reliever. What happened was he's actually coming off of surgery. Uh, And so I think that they just sort of broke him in easy uh, style on that and wanted to manage his innings at the end of the season. In 2018, he only threw two innings. uh, And in 2017, he only threw seven innings. So they weren't going to throw him a ton of innings. He ended up getting to 79 innings. And in those 79 innings, he struck out. Uh, nearly 11 batters, more than 11 batters per nine, and walked less than one. Wow. So this is a guy who has really good command, mid-90s fastball. The changeup is already 60. Uh, you know, or, you know, the changeup is already 60. So uh, what we're waiting on is the curveball to develop and how many innings he can have next, next year. But... I could see him having major league time next year or maybe ending up at the Arizona Fall League to kind of push his innings to like 120, 150, and then being a, a real name on people's lists the next year. So uh, get ahead of these guys uh, and uh, and trade away 
the bigger names if you're if you're competitive. These are the kind of guys you can stash if you're in a competitive dynasty league uh, and you kind of want to to get someone that could jump up in value next year. There's there's like they're coming up on sort of a moment that'll change their 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 value. Yeah, that's a really good call. Yeah, I like that those guys could actually break through the organizations they're in right now too. I think sometimes those those forty ish grade guys they're they're blocked too, and that's part of what what makes you mm-hmm. kind of stay away. But I think I could see both having like, having a clear path to contributing. Uh, Spanberger, by the way, if I didn't mention before, seventy grade raw power hitting hitting the ball on, on the ground a little too much last year. We'll see if the Brewers can get him to. Uh, Get that ball back up in the air. Maybe goes back to double A to start the year. Wouldn't surprise me to just see him go to the PCL though and see what happens there. Just let it rip, you know. Go down there and to 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 fit him in with these three, like at a position of organizational need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They could short term it for twenty twenty and use a guy like this potentially in twenty twenty one. Maybe call him up in September or something like that. Could be a fall league guy. Lots of ways it could play out for him. Do we save beer of the week? Do we go double on beer of the week next week? You know, uh, yeah, let's do let's do that next week. Uh, right now, I would just do uh, a Jester King sour I had this weekend. I think that's I think I've already done a Jester King sour. So <laughs> yeah, I had Zombie Dust this weekend, and it was still really good. And I think I've already reviewed Zombie Dust. So if you need selections, yeah. those are the selections. But we'll go more in depth on next week's beer oh. of the week homework i love it yes beer homework this is homework i can get into too <laughs> best kind and actually if we'll take submissions too so if you have a very interesting beer between now and next week tuesday hit us up he's at eno saris i'm at Derek van riper you can email us fantasy pods at the just include rates and barrels in the subject line if you'd like to reach us that way that is going to wrap things up for this episode of rates and barrels we are back with you next week thanks for listening Thank you.